So our reading today comes from Genesis 4, uh, chapters 1 through 16, or verses 1 through 16, sorry. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be restless, a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Thank you, Gretchen. Uh, before we get into uh, prayer over this message, uh, I figured I have to apologize in advance. Uh, this was an extremely hard text for me to uh, share and to preach on this morning as I uh, wrestled through the text myself as we talk about something that's going to be kind of uncomfortable in a sense. And uh, so I just want to apologize in advance if this is something that's really hard for you, um, but this is something that's necessary for us to be able to uh, kind of focus in on and see what the Lord is revealing to us during this time. So now that I've apologized, I have all your attention, which is great. You guys are all zoomed in. You're like, I wonder what he's going to say. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love your word. And yet as, as broken human beings, uh, sometimes your word is, is a hard pill to swallow. Father, I pray that during this time that your word would not come back empty, that it would bear fruit, not only in the hearts of those that are here and online, but in my heart as well, Lord, that your spirit would speak through um, this text and open up our eyes to see um, just the realness and the truth of your word. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Well, it's good to have you guys here with us. It's good to be here. Uh, we are continuing on in our sermon series, Four Questions. And this is kind of four questions that uh, we are going to be talking about throughout the next uh, three or so more weeks as we figure out the four questions that the human experience goes through. And so last week, uh, Pastor Josh talked about who am I? And today we're going to talk about what is my problem? So we're going to be talking about the problem 
uh, what is my solution, which is next week, and then what is the good life, or what does the good life look like? And so we're going to be focusing in on, let me slide over here, there we go, uh, we're going to be focusing in on uh, after who am I, after our identity is founded in Christ, well, what, what is our problem, right? Last week, Pastor Josh talked about our foundation and where we find our identity and build off our identity off of, and sometimes we build our identity off of wrong things, but, but in all of us as Christians, as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, our identity is being uh, not only a follower of Jesus, but a child of God as well. But the question is this, but what if that's not enough? What if you, you come in here on a Sunday morning or you're watching online and, and you go through this question of who am I? I'm, I'm God's kid and I'm God's child. But as you're walking throughout life, you realize that's not enough. Or, or maybe it just doesn't feel enough. You see, the problem is not that God isn't enough because he's enough whether we believe it or not but that my rationale and my inclination for sin, which we're going to be focusing in on today, makes me believe that God is not enough, right? My rationale and my inclination for sin makes me believe that God is not enough, that he's not providing for me. And this is what's so important because as we enter into or as we continue through this uh, age of deconstruction that America is going through right now, especially with the rise in COVID back in 2020, where people are starting to figure out and rationalize and start to uh, begin to prioritize things that are important to them and start to remove things that they believe are toxic to them, we begin to see what things are important to us, and sometimes we end up taking out things that we don't believe are important to us, but in fact actually are really healthy for us. And during this time of deconstruction, sometimes we can even begin to deconstruct our own faith. And maybe you realize that the church is full of broken people, and you realize that sometimes the church fails you. Or in this age of deconstruction, as we're going through life, as we're going through culture, maybe we're seeing things happen all over the world, and then we see things online where we see church leaders who are failing us. Whether it's pastors being unfaithful to their marriage and committing adultery, or there's abuse of power happening in certain systems and structures. And so you begin to deconstruct all these things and you start to see the realness and the brokenness of the world that continues to happen. And maybe it feels like that your faith is not enough. Over time, throughout these past two years, all I've heard is that people feel like they've been just losing out on their faith and losing out on the hope of the church. That they're losing trust in institutions. Or you get to a point where you've been studying scripture and you've been praying and you've been doing all this your entire life, but it, it seems like your prayers are coming up empty. Or, or you look around and you see like Russia and Ukraine fighting and you see all these different horrific things that are happening all over the world and the news is just not healthy for you, but you can't help but look and you see the world is completely falling apart. And then real doubt starts to creep in. And then eventually we start finding our hope in things that will make us think that it is enough for us. And this exactly happened with all of those in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Right? These, these leaders, these Israelites, they were rescued out of Egypt into the promised land. God had rescued them. And then they started to think, well, what if God is not enough? What if Yahweh himself is not enough? 
And while Moses was hanging out on the mountain on Mount Sinai, they decide, hey, we're going to worship a golden calf, and we're going to claim that it's the one that saved us out of the Exodus. Or the Pharisees, during Jesus' time, they felt like God was absent for them for the past 400 years before Jesus enters into the ministry and enters into earth. And they're like, God's not enough. We need to start creating all these different laws and these rules. And these things start to push away people, away from God and away from everyone else. It's the same pattern that we continue to find ourselves in, asking this question of what if, what if it feels like God is not enough for us? When we get into the story of Cain and Abel, we see Cain and Abel working in this field where they were just kicked out of the garden, right? Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, then Adam and Eve had kids, two brothers, Cain and Abel, and one was working the fields and producing fruit, and one was taking care of animals, right? And Cain brings this offering of, it just says some fruit offerings were given to God. But to Abel, he killed the firstborn, and he presented that to God, And God had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain's. And this started to make Cain feel angry. And this is what God says to Cain. He gives this warning, and he says this, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. This is a scary warning from God. That sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. And he gives this warning to say, hey, watch out that you don't fall into this brokenness and repeat this cycle over and over again that your family fell into before. But, but Cain was not satisfied with God's word and he ends up killing his own brother Abel. He felt like he needed more rather than God's word being sufficient for him. And what about us? Aren't we just like Cain in this? We, we hear God's word, whether you come to church or you read your Bible or whether you listen to worship music and we hear God's word and oftentimes we feel like it's not enough for us. And instead of turning from our own ways, we end up turning from his word. And this is the more scary part about it, is that as we continue throughout the uh, Old and New Testament, we see Paul start to talk about some of these realities of sin that are plaguing us in our day-to-day life. And this is what it comes from in uh, Galatians chapter 5. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I've done before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can we just sit in this for a little bit? I mean, this is really uncomfortable for Paul to be able to share this. And he says, I've warned you before that those who continue to practice in this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this isn't the only place that Paul shares this text. In fact, he shares this text in uh, multiple other places to other churches that are going around and committing all these different sins. Even though they're followers of Jesus, they continue to go back to their old ways over and over again. And here in America, we've created a culture where sin is just part of the human experience. And what happens is sometimes American churches just paint Jesus over it when we realize that it's actually rotting our own souls. 
Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Do you guys get the seriousness of all of these texts? How serious God is about sin and the realities that's happening in our world? When Jesus says that anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, we often think about the American culture of, of slavery, right? But back during the time in uh, the Israelites' time, when you were in debt to somebody, you would immediately go into slavery so that you could continue to work your way to be able to pay that off, right? So if you paid it off, then you'd be set free and you'd be able to do your own thing again. Or if you waited until the year of Jubilee, which is never really kind of recorded, then they'd be set free from their slave and set free of their sin, right? And so when Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, when we commit sin and the things that we go against God for, we are indebted to pay that back. And this is the way that I've looked at the way that we look at sin. It's kind of like you have a, a credit card, right? And you swipe it every time that you commit a sin or you go against God or you hurt your neighbor or you say something wrong. And then you owe it back to be able to pay it off. But with most credit cards, they usually have what? Interest. So that means you're actually having to pay more than what you actually should owe. And what we continue to do is we keep swiping this credit card over and over and over again, and we're continuing to build up all of this different debt that continues to pile on top of each other, and then we continue to try to work it off, but then we continue to fall into this debt of sin over and over again as we're swiping and swiping and swiping, and it becomes perpetually worse over and over and over again until we become very addicted to the very thing that God hates. And the scariest thing about it is that we do these things that hurt us and hurt God and hurt our neighbors. And sometimes we actually like it. Sometimes we fall into these patterns that we can't help ourselves because it actually feels like we're being fed and it feels like we're being provided for by something that is continually killing us over and over again. And we're continually turning our backs on God. And if we continue to keep going down this path that we're going on over and over again and continually swiping and ignoring God and we keep doing what we think is best, that's a path straight to hell. From separation from God. And this is what Romans 23 says. For the wages of sin is death. The payment that you owe, those wages that you continue to commit, is death. We will not inherit the kingdom of God because we ended up putting our own kingdom on the throne rather than the king himself. And again, God gives this warning to Cain. He says this, but then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, 
but you must rule over it. And this is even before Cain murders Abel. So, so we're dealing with this, this jealousy and this anger that, that Cain has inside of him that's festering inside of him. And oftentimes when we think of some of those thoughts that are in our heads, we think those things are harmless, right? Like jealousy and anger sometimes can be harmless, and we won't act upon those things, those thoughts in our heads or those deep thoughts in our hearts that we won't act upon them. And though, although jealousy and anger look harmless on the outside, so does a cough before a lung collapses. What are, what are those seamlessly harmless things that might be festering up inside of you? Because they might be rotting away at what you think of God and what you think of other people as well. But, but there is good news. Paul gives this to the Corinthians. He says, and that is what some of you were. That, that's what y'all were. But you've been washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says that, that was the past you. That was yesterday's you. That was 10 years ago you. That was 10 minutes ago you. But you have to be reminded that you've been washed and sanctified and justified by Jesus. And why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Y'all, when I saw this for the first time, this text, this changed my entire thinking of who Jesus was. Even though he knew no sin, he became sin for us. He didn't just take it on. He became sin for us that in Christ, we might be the righteousness of God. That, that when God sees you, he sees Christ through you. That when God sees you, he sees Christ in you because you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified because when God sees you, he sees Christ with you. And this is what Paul's argument is, is that that was you, but that's not you any longer. You, you beautiful, baptized believer, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified, you've been cleansed, all by not doing anything but what Christ has done for you. And this is what's so amazing is that when we come to church, when we experience God together, when we begin our worship service, what do we begin with? We begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the same name in which you were baptized in. To be reminded that that stuff that you've done, that's no longer you. Remember your baptism. Remember that you've been washed. Remember that you've been cleansed. Remember that you've been sanctified by him. When we come to worship and we gather together, we go into a time of confession and absolution where we say, you know what? All this stuff that I've been holding inside of me, all those things that I've done wrong, I, I'm letting that go and giving it to God because in him I am made righteous. Righteous. 
that, that Christ has become sin for me. And he didn't stay dead so that we might become the righteousness of God together. When we take of the Lord's Supper, we take of Jesus' body and blood so that we might be washed and sanctified and justified in him. And, and Paul doesn't stop his argument saying, for the wages of sin is death, but he keeps going in Romans. He says, but the gift, but. I've heard that everything before the word but is complete BS. <laughs> I, and I love that. I apologize for the crudeness. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He gives us this gift that is eternal life with him. Which also means that if we've been already washed, if we've been sanctified, if we've been freed, if we've been justified, that means that eternal life starts now. That, that the things that we've been doing before are, are no longer applied to us because they've been paid in full by Christ. And, and this is the reality that we continue to walk in. As we figure out these four questions, who am I? What is my problem? What is the solution? And what does the good life look like? If this is you that's continually finding themselves in this, this credit card of, of debt, to sin. This is what the church is here for, because Christ works in and through and with the church. Let us continue to walk with you. Let's continue to pray for you. Let's continue to lift you up. That's something that you've been struggling with for a long time, because remember, that was you in the past. Paul's like, that's no more you. You've been baptized. You have this new life that starts now in him. This was our problem. And oftentimes we end up keep going back to what was, but, but God is working in us now. And he's working through the people around you as you come to the table and take of the Lord's Supper. When you look to your left and your right, we realize that we're not alone in this. That we personally need this salvation from Jesus himself, but it's not just you, it's everyone else around. So we're going to go into a time of confession together. And uh, we're going to take some time in silence. Just think over the things that have been broken in us, the problems that we face over and over. If there's something that has been really rotting at you, that you would offer it up to God, who freely says, come to me all who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. Let's take some time. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to go into a moment of silence, and then I'll share in the absolution together. Jesus, you give us your word that, that sometimes is a warning to our own ways. Those ways that could be destructive to ourselves, to our neighbors, to the people that we love, and to you. Jesus, we know of the beautiful sacrifice that you made for us on the cross in the empty tomb. And that's why we are able to come to you in prayer and to offer up those things that are broken inside of us. Because you became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we take, not we take time now in this silence to be able to offer up those things to you.
Church, one of the most beautiful things that we get to experience together is this absolution where we're reminded, and, and you hear these words that you are forgiven. One of the things that I love is that although we, we accumulate this credit card of debt, when Jesus is on the cross, he says the words, it is finished, which in Greek is the word tetelestai. And it doesn't only mean it is finished, but it literally translates to it is paid in full. That, that whatever brokenness, whatever sin, whatever toxic that's, that's inside of your soul, the things that you've been perpetually building up over and over and over again have been cleared. God says, as far as the east is from the west, I have removed the transgressions from you. And that you have been washed and cleansed and sanctified and justified through Jesus himself. You are forgiven, church. In Jesus' name, amen.